I have seen the pace of your life. The stress. The anxiety. The constant movement. Rushing from one place to the next. Chasing after your desires. Or running from your fears. I see how you struggle. Striving to meet your needs all on your own. I see the burdens placed upon you and the burdens you place upon yourself. In the midst of this chaos and hurry, I am calling out to you to slow down. Be still and know that I am God. It is I who set the earth in motion. It is I who sustains you, protects you, and provides for your needs. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid, for I will never leave you. Let your soul find rest in me and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For neither death nor life, the present nor the future, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from my love. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Everybody said? Amen. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you for coming this morning. A little bit sparse, but that's all right. Amen? Because you were here. Now, I figured that we could spread out a little bit, but I noticed there was just some certain places that people hovered to. Amen. So we appreciate you not worrying about that today. I was actually going to open that up, so I'm glad I didn't do that. So you could be alone if you needed to be today. Well, we were going to continue on Proverbs, but we kind of suspended that. We talked about the 90-day challenge last Sunday, and 11 people signed up for the 90-day challenge. What do you say? That was, that was lame. <laughs> 95, 11 people decided to do the 90-day challenge where they're going to tithe for 90 days and put God to the test. And our people said, <laughs> that's better. Amen. So we need to pray for those 11 people that they're going to step out and that God really does show himself mighty on their behalf. So I'm pretty excited. Just give you a story of one of them. One of the guys was here last, last Sunday morning and is here this morning. And uh, they decided to do the, the, the challenge. And so they left. They had a car that they'd been trying to sell for a year. And, uh, and they were driving to a, they have a couple of houses, so they were going to sell their house. And so they're working on this house in another city. And uh, as they're traveling, he said, do you think we should put that up for sale again? 
And she goes, well, let's pray about it. So they prayed about it, and they decided that if they sell the car, that they would tithe this Sunday morning off of that car that they that sell. Again, hadn't, hadn't had any bites. Well, the first call, as they're driving down, bought the car instantly. So I'm looking for that check today in the bucket. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just, just, just some good stuff. So praise, praise God for people that really... Uh, Test the Lord. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28. The president has issued a national emergency, okay? And uh, we don't take that lightly at all. Uh, first time in my lifetime that there's been a state of emergency that I can remember. And uh, so we take this very seriously. And many churches have closed this morning, and others, you know, closed, but they're still doing church online. And of course, take an offering online as well, right? And so, but we just decided that we're just going to trust God and come together as a body of believers and until the Lord leads us otherwise. Uh, but again, we don't take it too lightly. We're not, you know, there's a lot of people that are fearful. I've got several phone calls of people that just didn't feel like they should come because they have some elderly in their home or some babies or pregnant and they just were just concerned about that. And that's completely understandable. And we don't make light of that. But we want, we want to do something this morning. We're going to talk specifically about the sovereignty of Jesus Christ and his unstoppable mission. The sovereignty of Christ, of Jesus, and his unstoppable mission. So I want you to look on the screen, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Most time we look at this in another total viewpoint. Uh, we talk about evangelists reaching the world and those kind of things, but we're going to look at something a little bit different. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said unto them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so, so look at the word authority. Uh, it means power, it means sovereign. All authority has been given to me. And because of that authority, notice this, he says, Go. Based on the fact that I am sovereign and I'm in control, you, based on that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, there's two things that I want to really get across. My, my, I have two aims. One is that you get fill, you're filled with well-grounded amazement at the sovereignty of Christ. I want you to really walk away this morning amazed at his ability, at his awesome power. And secondly, that you see that his mission, based on that sovereign power of God, his mission to reach the world for himself is unstoppable. Those are the two things I want you to grab from this. So we're going we're gonna to look at a lot of Scripture because that's my goal, is that you're, you basing your faith and your belief not on what somebody has said, but actually on the Word of God. Can I hear an amen? That's what we want to do this morning, that you get grounded on actually what Jesus has actually said. All right? So we've got three questions as we begin this morning. Number one is, who gave this authority to Jesus? It says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. So the first question, 
I mean, who exactly? And of course, we would all agree that it was the Father. But let me give you three verses, all right? In Matthew eleven twenty seven, it says this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Okay, so again, the Father is the one that has handed over this power to Jesus Christ. Now, I really had a tough time picking out which scripture to use, but I got three of them. John 13, 3 says this. Now, notice this. And knowing, Jesus knowing, now that, that is powerful, and it, it, there's a whole message right there. Jesus knowing that his Father had given all things into his hands, he knew who he was, and he knew where he comes from, where he came from. It says, and he had come from the Father, and he was going back to the Father. Then he knelt down, in the next verse, we don't have it up there, but he knelt down and he washed the disciples' feet. He was able to put away his own, I mean, it's almost a whole sermon in itself. Because he understood who he was in the Father and where he'd come from and where he was going, he was able to serve, put away any self insecurities or anything because he understood. Now, again, you need to study that on your own because that's powerful. But the one thing I want you to see is that Jesus handed all things over to him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 also. Uh, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now notice this. And seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Now notice this. Far above all rule, all authority, power, dominion, and every name that is named. Not only the age this age, but in the age to come, okay? So God the Father has given Jesus this position, not just in this world, but in also the world to come. So the conclusion is, very simple, that the Father is the one that gave Jesus all authority, okay? Second question, I want, and this is the one we're going to hover over for a little bit, and we're going to drill down on, and that is this. How much authority is included in this all authority. Okay? Now, our first question would be, ah, just all. All means all, right? We've all said that before. But what I want to do is I want to break that down for us and really grasp what Jesus is referring to. There are several shadows or several areas that hint to Jesus' power. And so I want to go through 10 of them. Okay, and we're going to talk about all 10 of these, and you can just write the verses down because I really want you to write them down and then go look at them later. Okay, again, this is designed for you to see that our God is completely sovereign and that this virus did not take God by surprise. You're going to get this from these scriptures. Did not take our God by surprise, and he can handle it. We don't have to fear and jump on the train, which our world is doing right now, and panicking. We don't have to jump on that train because we have a God we can trust and depend on and actually says that he has it, okay? Because we are panicking as a nation, and you know what panic does. So we want to calm people's nerves by looking at the Word of God. Okay, so... His power. Ten thoughts on this, okay? All power describing his power. Number one, we see the extent of his rule, of his authority, 
in his act of creation. You say, Jesus created everything, of course. John chapter 1 and verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so the person of Jesus Christ is the one that has made everything according to these verses right here. All right? He made the heavens and the earth, the person of Jesus Christ, and all that is in them. Okay? The second thing, we see the extent of his power in the fact that he sustains the world. Okay? He holds it together by the word of his power. Let me read a couple of verses here. In Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Talking about the word of God. This is his words. Spoken to us in the last day by his son, who had appointed heir of all things. Now notice this, by whom also he created the world. Okay, just kind of another shot to, to the first point. Now, now notice this. He is the irradiance of the glory of God, talking about Jesus, and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds the universe by his power. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17 says, He is before all things, and he holds all things together. Now, I want to show you a picture of an atom. Everybody knows what an atom is, right? Raise your hand if you know what an atom is, okay? This is, this is, to me, matter. The Bible says in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At that very moment, if we ever go back and study it, God created matter. Matter is made up of protons, neutrons. This is a science class here, okay? So how many remember this in science class, Okay. Now, now, the amazing thing to me is, okay, these electrons, they just, I mean, matter is solid, liquid, and gas, and right here, there is electrons moving. Does that blow everybody's mind? It's solid. There's nothing moving, correct? But you have all these electrons. My point is this. By the will of Jesus Christ, those electrons stay in their path and they continue their speed. And so if Jesus says at any moment, stop <laughs> or go faster or whatever, he holds it all together. Is that mind-blowing to anybody? I mean, he is God and he's in control of every single thing. We, we see the extent of his power, and not only that of the sustaining the world, but he governs nature. Okay? In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29, the Bible talks about two sparrows are sold for a penny, and when one falls, the Father has part in that. So, in the massive wooded area of the Amazon, one bird falls to the ground. Our Father has part in that, knows that. The massive monsoon that comes up in the oceans 
Jesus, as his disciples said, as, they, as Jesus was standing in the boat, and he said, peace be still, and the, the wind stopped, and the waves ceased. And they were blown away, and they said, what manner of man that even the winds and the waves obey his command. So our God is not only, you know, in control of the very small bird, but he's in control of the massive. The waves can only go as high as he says they can, and no further. That's what Scripture teaches us. So he literally is in command of all of nature, and it obeys him. Fourthly, we see the extent of his power, of his rule, in the fact that he is controlling the demons from hell. The devil, Satan, and the demons from hell. In Mark chapter 1, in verse 27, it says this, And they were all amazed... And they began question among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and I love this, and they obey him. Okay. The demons, which you and I are so fearful, we go in these rooms and we watch these stupid TV shows that are so full of demons, and we just, we're just, I mean, you young people are crazy. Those things are real. Okay, the real, a lot of that stuff is real, genuinely happening in scriptures, and you're watching that stuff, and you're fearing, you're biting on your, your blankets, and ah, and then you go away and say, yeah, I'll watch the next one too. Yeah, but my point is, even all of that stuff, even the demons from hell obey the voice of God. I love 1 John 5, 18, one of my favorite verses. That Satan himself can't even touch me, can't even put a finger on me unless God gives him the okay. He can't touch me. I am off limits to Satan and the demons. At one time, I was totally under their control. But now that I'm a child of God, they cannot even, and I just like how the, look at what it says, can't, does not touch him. The evil one can't put his finger on me. Isn't that great? In Job uh, chapter 42 verse 11, at the very end of the book of Job, uh, all of his friends were coming together and they were encouraging him and bringing him stuff. And, and uh, I love what it says here. It says, and they showed sympathy and comforted him of all the evil, notice this, of all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. So we know the story, how Satan goes into God and says, can I go and do this? And God says, "Uh, okay, you can go this far, this far, and this far, but no further. And so each time he could only do so much. God had him on a leash, right? On a leash. He couldn't go any further. So this says, because God is able to, even though Satan causes it, he still gives God the credit that he can pull. God is the one that allows so much and no more. He is in control of even demons from hell. Number five, we see the extent of Jesus' authority, his power, his rule, in the fact that he governs the affairs of history. He governs the affairs of history. 
Revelation chapter 17, verse 14 says this. And they will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So he literally has rule over. So there's no president. There's no chief. Okay, there's no prime minister. There's no governor. There's no mayor. There's no congressman. There's no senate. There's no house. No one that are in their position unless God has the one that has in put them there. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he's the one that puts them into that position and he's the one that takes them out. He puts in the presidents, he takes them out. So that the, the, the world goes the direction that he chooses for it to go. And that is, the goal is to bring all men to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Eventually, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, you need to read it, you need to understand it. The king's heart, those in authority, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it whithersoever he wills. Now, now, that's great for children that are walking with God, that parents are. We can pray, Father, would you change their hearts? A wife Subject to the husband can pray the same thing. Father, would you, a preacher, subject to the elders or whatever. We can pray and ask the Father to turn the hearts. Our jobs, instead of going to him, demanding our rights, we can go around that authority to the all authority and pray, and God will change and direct their hearts according to he hears and answers our prayers. If we pray according to his will. Number six. We see the extent of his authority and his power in the fact that he is in control of all diseases. Jesus Christ is in control. Now, I want you to write these verses down because I know what you're going to do. You're listening to it and you're looking on the screen, but I want you to write these verses down this morning because these are the verses I want you to dig up, dig into, so that you come to the same conclusion that any virus... Any sickness is subject to the voice and the power of God. And I want that to settle in your heart as I read some of these verses. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, you remember the story? Moses was, uh, was on the backside of the desert. God calls to him and says, I want you to go to Egypt to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses' normal, natural response was, no way, right? <laughs> That's all of our, you want me to go witness to my neighbor? No way. You want me to witness to my coworker? No way. <laughs> what? Okay, that's his natural response. What was his, what was the one thing that he said he couldn't do? Now, he listed about six things, but actually, but think about four. But one of them was, I can't speak, okay? I'm basically a dummy, now listen to the words of the Lord and how he responds. When Moses objected because he was slow of speech and tongue, God said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Exodus 4.11. Or who has made the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Now listen to this. He says, it, Is it not I says the Lord. 
Okay, so from the Old Testament all the way through up Jesus' time, he never lost any of that sovereign power over sicknesses, over virus, never. Because listen to what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Write that down. He went about doing good and healing all who were pro- oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Okay, that's, that's Acts 10, 38. Went around doing good and healing all the people. Okay, God can lift diseases if he pleases to, when he wants to, and how often he wants to. There is no disease present, even if Satan causes it, that God can't stop it. Think about that. One of the last things Satan did to Job boils from head to toe. Boils. And he's sitting in this this hole of ashes. And his wife, uh, his wonderful wife, in Job 2, 7 through 10, okay? Listen to this. I'm actually going to tell the story because I don't, I don't have the whole verses up here. And so he went before the Lord. The Lord said, yes, you can smote his physical body with sickness. So he had boils from head to, dough, to toe. And then it says, do you still hold fast? Now, this is his wife. His wife said, do you still hold fast with your integrity? This is what she said. Curse God and die. His sickness was so bad, his wife, his loving, wonderful wife, the closest person to him, the only person that was that close to him, she said, curse God and die. Now, he's here, and he's in all this pain, and this is what he said. You speak as one of those foolish women speak, (laughs) okay? She's the one that's all panicking. I want you to get out of this pain. And he says, woman, do you not know what you're, you're saying? And then he says this, shall we not accept the good from God and not accept the adversity that comes along in life as well? That's powerful. He's thinking clearly in this sickness. And the Bible goes on and says, in all of this, Job sinned not with his lips, So neither Satan, nor virus, nor bacteria, nor broken down chromosomes are sovereign in this world. But Jesus Christ is. He is sovereign according to the word of God. And that's why we're here for. We stand on this, not reasoning with our own understanding and putting what this person says and what this person says and what this person and what this TV station says and what this TV station and what this radio preacher says or this radio commentary talk show. I mean, there's all kinds of opinions and they want our ears. But this is the one that should have our ear. And our hearts standing on this book. Keep on trucking. Number seven. We see the extent of his power and his rule. The fact that he governs over the acts of the sinfulness of man. It's crazy. Okay. He governs. Now, probably one of the most important verses of scripture on this One of my favorite portions of Scripture anywhere is Acts chapter 4, verse 27, 28. You have it on the screen here. Now listen to this. For truly, this city, they were gathered 
together against your holy servant, Jesus. Now pay attention. Okay, so the city was gathered, and then it breaks it down. Whom you anointed, okay, just kind of paraphrase. Okay, Jesus, whom you, you, you know, your holy child, your holy servant, you anointed him. The whole city is against him, and then he breaks it down. Both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, and along with Israel. Isn't that everybody? <laughs> so so it, it, he just breaks down what he said in the first city. For truly this, and he should have put it there, whole city has gathered against you. Okay, They were all gathered against Jesus, and we know what they did to our Savior. But notice what the rest of this verse says. Actually, verse 28. And you need to go back and study it. To do whatever your hand and your plan. You following that? Whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. So all that took place from the time Jesus was born to the time he rose from the dead, all of that was predicted and predetermined by the sovereign hand of God, proving that here they thought, here, here Pilate thought he was making this decision on his own. Here Herod thought he was making this decision on his own. Here the soldiers thought they were doing this. I mean, even the downright to the gambling, all of it was predetermined by the Father. So Herod's mockery, Pilate's expedience, the Gentiles' soldiers crowning him and lashing out at him and the Jews crying crucify was the Father's plan to bring about salvation to you and I. Wow. We go back to Isaiah 53.10 and it says that it pleased the Father to crush or bruise the Son because the Father can see from the crucifixion down to the present time, all of those that would be saved. He sees the end from the beginning. That's our God. And so when the disciples forsook Jesus in the garden, when Judas took of the bread and deceived Jesus and betrayed him with a kiss, it was part of the Father's plan. As they were gambling at the foot of the cross, as they were doing all the ugliness that they did to the Son of the living God, it was part of the Father's plan. He is all-powerful. Go ye therefore. You say, why should we even go? If he's sovereign, he's powerful. Well, why wouldn't you want to go? I wouldn't want to go for a God that's not sovereign. I want to go for a God that's sovereign. And so when I give his word, the word of God is quick and alive and powerful and breaking down the old crusty heart and allowing the message of love to, to penetrate and that person born again. That's the kind of God that we serve. Which brings us to number eight. 
the extent of Jesus' authority, his power, his sovereignty on conversion. And this is very important. But none of us, I love the story he talks about in Matthew or, or Mark 10, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but Mark 10, uh, a rich man rejected God, rejected the Lord. And Jesus told a story. It's easier for a rich, it's, it's, it's easier for a guy to go through the eye, a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to be saved. And the disciples cried out and said, Who then can be saved? And this is his response. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So even conversion, your salvation is because the Holy Spirit was drawing you and, and, and giving you the insight. You had to make that choice to accept or reject, but the sovereign God was putting all those together so that you and me. I, I look back at all the circumstances. Judy riding around the block when I was in fifth grade, my heart going boom, 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 boom. That was part of God's plan. She didn't know it. I had not a clue. All I know was, man, every, well, I don't think I had hair at that time, but you know, every little thing was up. That was God's plan. So when I saw her at that car lot and she had short hair, I remembered those feelings. It was just the opposite. You used to have short hair. She used to have long hair. I had short hair. And then when we saw each other, I had long hair and she had the short, short, short hair. I had no clue who this woman was. But when I got back to her, I remembered those feelings again. You guys are laughing, but that, you, you got the picture, didn't you? Amen. That's what happened. I'm just saying God had his hand because my life was, that was the time when, that, probably one of the worst times in my life when she was riding by that summer. It was fantastic. The sovereignty of God, he cares, he loves, and he'll move heaven and earth to bring about the salvation of his children, of his people. And then number nine, he has... He has the power. We've got to hurry along. Uh, the extent of Jesus' authority, his power, his rule is the fact that he triumphs over death. And I've got a lot of scripture here, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read uh, Romans 8. Actually, I don't have it here, but I'm going to read you a portion of it. It says, uh, who shall then separate us? There we go. Let's do this one. I don't have it on my screen. But, but I, am, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things, uh, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death. Notice the, all of the description that he's describing. But I want you to see the first one. Death can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he goes on, he says, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Okay, so even death. I, I, I love the story of Lazarus. Jesus comes up to the tomb. He's dead four days. If the Bible is correctly, he's in paradise with Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, and all the Old Testament saints and some of the New Testament. He's in paradise in the middle of the earth. They had Hades over here and paradise over here. Later on, Paul said this paradise moved up to heaven. We'll get to that some other time. But 
But on the one side, there was this great paradise, as the Bible describes it, this wonderful place. And he's there four days. Can you imagine being in paradise and all of a sudden you hear this voice, Lazarus? You think Moses didn't want to go back to Egypt? What about Lazarus in paradise coming back to earth? Not in this century where we have air conditioning and heating and shoes to that generation. But guess what? Lazarus had no choice. He finds himself wrapped up in this sheet. Why? Because the voice of our Savior is so awesome, so powerful that even the dead hear his voice and respond. They have to respond. You don't have to listen to a word I say. You can plug your ears, nah, nah, nah. You can, but when God speaks and he wants you to follow through, you will follow through. Okay, so number two. Therefore, when all is said and done, Jesus has absolute power and absolute authority, and we see this in the fact that his mission cannot fail. All of those nine things leads us up to ten which we see the extent of his power in the fact that his mission will not fail. This is what the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it or will not stop it. That's the word. The gates of hell. Okay. And Jesus said, my church. And who's Jesus' church? Us. And the gates of hell can't stop us. From what? Sitting in our pews? No, from going. Okay? Satan and all the demons from hell and all the world and all of our flesh can't stop us from going out and breaking down the gates of hell. And those that are in bondage on the other side, we will be able to get to and to reach them for Jesus Christ. It's all said in that one verse. The gospel, the Spirit of God is inside of us. Nothing can stop our sovereign Lord, from reaching the lost. There are several Timmys running around on this side of the city. There's several Joshes. There's several Johns. There's several Bobs, several Susies, Judys. A lot of those are running around the city, and they're wanting to know, is there hope? And we have the message, and nothing can stop us from giving that message out. Okay, so let me draw some conclusion now. Okay, the first question... Who gave Jesus the authority? Second question, we hovered over. We spent a lot of time there talking about how extensive is that. And thirdly, we want to make application. Okay? Knowing this truth, that he's sovereign, and he's extensively sovereign, beyond our capabilities of understanding. I can't even understand matter, let alone Adam, let alone <laughs> the protons, neutrons, and like, they didn't even register. Understanding that, what kind of confidence does that unleash in your life? Let me give you three thoughts. Number one, it can release hope 
and confidence that God's got this. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We're just making a verse that we always quote when we go through tragedy. We're going to take that verse and apply it to this. Okay? Apply it to the corona, to the virus, or anything else that comes our way. Look what it says. It says, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Now, that's Tim's phrase, all right? We know because of his sovereignty, that this virus is going to turn around for God's glory. Somehow, some way, I don't know, because we're just in the beginning of it. We don't know. But I do know this. Fear, as 9-11 took place, what happened? People began to respond to the gospel, and hundreds, if not thousands of people were saved. God knows exactly what he's doing. We just trust in his word no matter what the outcome is because we know he's up to good. Okay, notice what it says. All things work together for good. That's you and I who love God. So this is not only for our good, and, and Paul says, uh, let's, just, let's just be frank here. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and I'd rather be there than here. That was Paul's phrase. Now, I've had a great journey in my life fantastic journey with my wonderful wife and my almost perfect kids. <laughs> almost. It's a wonderful life, but I'm telling you, it's, it's nothing compared to there. So when I'm in risk, they say anybody over 60 is at risk. To be absent from the body is to be present with him. Now, I believe God has a lot more for me, and I know he's got a lot more for you. That's what we trust and that's what we believe. But I'm just simply saying, no matter what happens, God's up to something great in your life and in my life. And it's going to be for his glory and that many people come to salvation. Number two, just a, another thought. That kind of confidence in the power of God and his sovereignty unleashes a confidence that we can cry out to God for big things. I mean, when you think of the sovereignty of God, who is beyond him breaking the hard hearts and bringing them to him? No one. My mom was a Jehovah Witness for years. My kids prayed for 20 years. Finally, she broke and trusted Christ. I mean, it's fantastic. Who would have dreamed fantastic stuff. So it gives us confidence to ask for big things. And then thirdly, it should give us, listen, it should, get, it, it should unleash a hope, unleash confidence that not only can we ask for big things, we can attempt big things. We can cry out to God to do what only God can do. But then we can go and make disciples. What bigger thing could take place than us sitting down with somebody and sharing the gospel with them and them getting saved. That's the biggest, biggest fantastic miracle that could ever take place is salvation. That's the biggest and the greatest. The changing of life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I, I'm, just, I'm just preaching this message. I, 
just been studying it for the last couple of days, just wanting your heart to rest. Your whole being to rest on the fact. Not that there's doom, but we have a great future ahead. So let's stand this morning. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Let's just stand. And I'm going to pray. And as I pray, you pray and say, Father, help me not to get caught up in the fear and the worry. Because you said 365 times in the Word of God, he says, fear not. Okay? So let's just go to God and say, God, help us to put our faith in you. Father, we come to you this morning. We are so grateful and so thankful for your word. Without your word, Father, we'd be lost. I mean, completely and totally lost. And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us to stand on your word. And and, and the truth that we just shared, and, and we'd put our hearts and our souls into it and believe it and start practicing it. May May our hearts overflow with confidence, with hope because of you. And then, Father, I pray that you would open the door wide for each one of us to step through that door and share you with somebody that's talking about all the junk that's going on because this is is everywhere. May May you give us boldness to insert truth, insert love, in that moment of chaos. And then, Father, we do pray for our president. We pray for our country. Father, that you would be with all of them. But, Father, before all of this is done, I pray for hundreds of thousands of people come to know you as Savior through this event. What a great revival that would be, Father. Oh, God, work out your plan and your purposes. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. They're going to sing this last song this morning. If you feel a need to pray, we want you to come forward. Don't hesitate. Just do it anytime in this song. God bless you.